we are back on Hollywood Boulevard. Vroom, vroom. Hey, guys. Welcome back. Here we are. Um, we are going to talk. Let's okay. Let's kick this off with the Tiger King conversation because I have been kind of dying to talk to you about this. So here's the deal. Alyssa and I have seen all of it, and you have seen one episode of it. I've seen one right? episode. So that gives me an indication of where you stand, but but tell me more. <laughs> okay. I couldn't do it. Um, here's the thing. You know, documentaries are funny because you think that you are being presented with facts, almost like a news story, right? Like these, because it's based on a true story. Uh, these are real people, real characters, real situations, um, real stories that have happened. But when directors, producers, and editors get a hold of the stories, they actually editorialize a lot. And sometimes when you're dealing with a really, really good documentary maker, um, who they can, they have a perspective, right? Okay. So let me, let me rephrase this. The, the documentary creator will have a perspective. And if you're really good at it, that is not imprinted on the documentary, or at least not so obviously with Tiger King. I felt like the, producer director and I assume he was also the editor who I believe I don't know for a fact but I believe this might have been his first film um I could see his perspective like within that first episode and I had like a real issue with that because this was definitely to me um the case of somebody sort of like it, it was treated the and these people were treated like freak shows they were being treated by the camera, by the producer, by the director as members of a freak show. And that's how he was presenting them to us. Yeah, the whole thing is totally sensational. Now, I'm a big true crime observer. Yeah, I, I enjoy love true crime. I enjoy reading and I enjoy watching. I don't catch all of it. Sometimes I think it's just too much. But going back before it became that cottage industry was always an interest of mine. Um, and Tiger King is typically probably not something I would watch, certainly not seven hours of it. Um, but hey, we were home and the world was apparently watching. So after a while it was, why not? You are correct. As far as I'm aware, the, uh, director, um, or the one that I got any information about back when I watched is like a conservationist slash entrepreneur and now filmmaker, but he's like in his sixties and it's his first film. Um, it's, it's almost like it reminded me more of like one of the true crime mockumentaries you sometimes see yeah. American Vandal comes to mind. Something maybe Christopher guest or someone of that ilk would fashion, but no, this is real. I mean, this is for those of you listening who are uninitiated at this point. Cause I know like, you know, 11 billion people have watched Tiger King on Netflix. Uh, it is a documentary about the world of Joe Exotic, who is this Oklahoma zookeeper, um, and, and you know, and a very well, uh, unique one. At yeah, that. I mean, he he was basically a, he had big cats mostly. Yeah. Um, at his his quote unquote zoo, it was sort of like almost like a roadside attraction. Yeah, and there's a lot of question as to the ethics of what he was doing and why. 
No, because it, it brings to my okay. What was what the hell was that um, from a couple years ago? Netflix uh, that that series. Now I can't think of the name of it. It was uh, the guy making a murderer. Making a murderer, right? Yeah. That that was I thought really really well done. And here you have a very similar. I mean, not a similar situation, but similar characters um, to a degree. Poor um, rural. Uh, over the top, over the top, uh, in their sort of hillbilliness, yeah. shall we say? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, like this in Tiger King, like one of the uh, one of the characters, like literally has no teeth, like literally has yeah. no teeth, and I felt like um, I, and they were all such strange, strange people and strange characters, and I really felt like the filmmakers were commenting on that more so on, on the eccentricities, um, more so than, you know, I mean, cause you say the guy was a conservationist and I, I'm like the, the director, like he's a conservationist and I'm like, really? Like that, d- cause it doesn't seem to me like he cared about the, the tigers at all. Like it just seemed to me like he was just kind of like, you know, training a camera on the freaks. Oh, that's exactly what this is. I mean, it's all condescension. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yes. That's the perfect word. It's total session. But I'm curious because I think one of the things I think where this goes awry, I mean, I don't even know how you begin to approach this. It's such a circus act, but it's really poorly structured in terms of what is the actual story they are telling? Who are we really trying to learn about? Um, like, what did you get out of one episode? Well, I didn't. Okay. First of all, um, I didn't know who to root for. You won't, because I feel like what should have been introduced by the end of the first episode, they don't really even get to until either episode five or six of seven. Because, you know, obviously I stopped after one episode and I was like, I don't know if I'm like even interested in, uh, you know, in continuing with this. But, you know, I did read a little bit about it. So I, I get the Carol Baskin, I guess they question whether or not she killed her first husband. Yeah, that's a big thing. Yeah. Which is going to be a big thing. And the guy, the other guy, what was his name? The guy that had the, um, the tiger, the zoo in North Carolina. Um, oh. mm, what was his name? To... Like, did they call him Doc or the Colonel or I don't remember. He was like some, he, he was the one that was always on TV with the, with the big cats. Like he brought like his cats to Letterman. Yeah. And, like and I know that now they were, they were questioning about whether or not he was euthanizing the cats. Um, because you, all of these people with the exception of Carol Baskin at their animal farms or whatever you want to call them would have these big ticket sort of, you know, come meet the cats or pet the cat things where you get a yeah. picture yeah. with the cat and pet the kittens. Like, with kittens. Do you call big cat baby? Like, do you call them kittens? I don't know. But you, but they're only safe around humans until they're 12 weeks old. That's a really small window of opportunity. Um, and then what do you do when, you know, so, so the, so you want this constant stream of young young big cats that people can pet. Um, so what do you do with the baby, with the baby cats once they're like no longer 12 weeks old and are actually dangerous. And there's questions about whether or not that guy was euthanizing 
the cats. And and even before then, I mean, there's such unethical mistreatment of these animals right. in their the zoo habitat when he's traveling with them. Yeah, Doc Antle, I Doc, think is the Doc, name. That's right. Yeah. And then okay, and I know obviously from watching the first episode that they're having conversations with uh with Joe Exotic Joe while he's in jail. What yeah. what did he get put in jail for? For uh putting a hit on Carol Baskin. Okay, that wasn't completely clear. So he put a hit That's on my Carol. point. Yeah. So, yeah. And they don't get into it till close to the end. It's like they're throwing everything they can about uh, like the, all the sensational parts of Joe Exotic's life, which includes like a potential maybe maybe not legal three-way marriage. Um <laughs> and um but they don't get to the they don't ever have a clear narrative. Like is this about Joe Exotic? Is this about the world of like big cat people and the big cat wars. Is this specifically about a rivalry between Joe Exotic or Carol Baskin? They never elucidate any of that. They just sort of throw all of that out there because various parts of all of these things, you know, can make viewers foam at the mouth. And I'm sure they have. But there's no clear through line to the whole thing. It just gets you to the point where seven hours and 15 minutes in, you, you, you see why Joe Exotic is now in jail. So what, what is driving people to watch this? Because again, I found none of these people likable, not definitely not the filmmaker. Um, I mean, I felt bad for the cats, frankly. I was shocked to hear that there are more big cats in captivity than there are in the wild. I think that is absolutely disgusting. Um, of course it didn't stop me from wanting a kitty of my own. Right. I was like, (laughs) wouldn't that be great? Look at how lovable they are. Um, but, but it like, what, what is, what is, what are people watching? Like everybody's watching this. It's like a big deal. I mean, are we that desperate because we're all quarantined? I think that's reason number one, to be totally honest. Yes. I think. I think it was like the, the, the moment was right. It was right when the most people had just begun to shelter in place and didn't really know what to do with themselves. And I think they turned a lot to streaming and particularly Netflix. And I think this was the right time. And it was, you know, like salacious and easy to sit through. And, and that was that. But I think it was the timing and people didn't know what to do with themselves. It could have been anything really in that window of time. It just happened to be this. I mean, the other thing that I had heard, I don't know how true this is. So I'm just sort of throwing this out there. The director producer, Eric good. Um, he is actually a restaurateur. Oh, he, okay. yeah, he, okay. Yeah. He's, um, I may have read that back a couple of weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, here it is. He created area, the nightclub area, Bowery Hotel, Waverly Inn. That's so that is true. And oh. then, so the other thing about good old Eric here that I also decided not to keep going. Part of the reason um, he does own, I think it's the way the Waverly Inn hasn't been shut down. Anyway, some of the restaurants that he owns in New York during the pandemic have basically laid off their entire staff and aren't doing anything to sort of like pay them even partial wages, anything like that. And this guy is worth a crap ton of money. 
Oh, yeah, F him. You know, so it's also this sort of, like, could have maybe potentially <laughs> colored my feeling towards him. But when I heard that, I was kind of like, you know, that's really, really gross. Like, you know, we're going through this shitty, shitty thing, and you've got, you know, all of this money, and you could potentially, you know, help help keep your people employed, and you're just not doing it. Yeah, definitely. Also, you know what I just found out by going to his Wikipedia page? Hmm, what? Do you know where he is born? I saw that. Yeah, Rhode Island, home of Karen Greco. I know. Uh, we don't want him. I'm sure. Honestly, well, I, don't, I, well, just, I don't want him either. Honestly, I was like, I was just like, that is like, I, I mean, really, I, I mean, this was something I found out like after I watched the first episode and I was like, oh, that makes sense because you could see that he, he just, he just really was sort of like mocking these people from behind the camera. Y- yes. It's, it's hard. I don't believe, I think these are people who like performing, who like attention, but I don't realize, I don't think they realize what butts of the joke they are as this uh, is put together. Yeah. And it could have been so much more compelling if he didn't treat them as freaks and actually looked at them as complicated human beings. Because I will say this about Joe Exotic. I was kind of really curious, like, how did you become the person you become he is like a gun to and good old boy who's also openly gay you know and he was doing magic acts to like what what was i'm trying to remember what was he doing the magic acts for he learned magic and he was doing magic tricks with animals or something like i don't know like it just he just kind of seemed like he could have been this really complex character that you could kind of really dive into who he was and what he was about. I mean, you know, he, he was a country music artist or he wanted to be, and he's like singing these truly terrible songs, but he's got this gorgeous voice. Yeah. He, and he, he knows how to put them together. Like, Yeah. yeah. Like I, like the lyrics were awful, but like his voice was absolutely stunning. And I'm just like, wait, what? I mean, like, there's so much going on, I think, with that character. Um, And he's just treated with so little respect that he just becomes a a caricature. I mean, like, the the last moments with him were him and his boyfriend, like, shooting at the water. Uh, Oh, yeah. With their, like, you know, automatic rifles and shit. You know what I mean? Like, it was kind of like, what the hell is going on here? It was, t- I, I don't know. I, I was, I was like pretty offended by the whole thing. I think it is offensive. And I don't think we have, um, as a, as a countrywide audience, any sort of barometer for like, where's the line between this is entertainment and we're fetishizing something really disrespectfully. Um, it's just low hanging fruit. It really uh, is. I mean, I was like, I was like, oh my God, who is watching this? So, so yeah, you know, sometimes there are certain phenomena that, that I have to say, well, it's not really for me, but I can see why it struck a chord. And there's nothing to this that means it really should be any kind of cultural flashpoint. It just is what's on the TV when everyone is forced to be home. And it's easy enough, I suppose, to sit through, but there's no, there's no artistry here. There are so many better things to sit through. Yes, there are. Um, 
All right. Well, to each their own. I guess if you guys enjoyed it and I'm wrong. Tell us why. Tell me. Yeah. Tell me what you think. Um, I will say you were right to stop watching after one episode because you would have not have felt any differently after six more hours. Okay. I'm I'm happy to hear that because I was kind of wondering if I was like, yeah. you know, walking away from something. So nah. did, did, did you, because I know you were like, I think I know what your reaction is going to be, but, you know, do you, was, was it right? Were you like, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, yeah, I knew it had to be something like, I just couldn't watch any more of it. And I was like, it had to be something because you thought it was either irresponsible or wasn't telling a good story or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. So, so great. Do I win anything? Uh, no. My undying love. I don't know. Hey, hey that's actually a really good price. There I you go. Aww. <laughs> but I can talk about something else that I've watched a lot of that was far more rewarding. Which is? Shit's Creek. I really need to watch this, don't I? Uh, you do. And I'll tell you, let me give you the backstory. So Alyssa and I never really cared, weren't really interesting, didn't really think it was going to be a show for us, primarily because of partly who was recommending it to us, um, who seemed to be, to be just like the the cast of the show. Um, it, the basic premise that you may or may not know is uh, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara are the the mom and dad of this family. There's a son and daughter, and they're all supremely wealthy and supremely shallow. And then in the very beginning of the pilot, the manager runs off with all the money, and they are forced to leave their rich society life behind and live out of two motel rooms in this small town that they own because it's called Shit's Creek and they thought it was so funny they bought it. And that's their only that's the only place they have to go. Um I thought it was going to be a lot of snarky jokes and really like uh unearned belittlement of like the bumpkins around them partially because the people who are recommending it are a lot of like snarky and lazy people that I know. Okay. Um, we watched two episodes months and months ago, the first two, to give it a shot. And we were like, yeah, eventually over time, we'll watch more of it. Um, and we just started to give it a go again towards the end of last week. And in which time we have now binged all six seasons, all 80 episodes of the show in four days. So we were wrong because... If you look at it aesthetically, in terms of, like, a strictly, like, writing standpoint, there are flaws. Sometimes the writing, much of which is written by Eugene Levy's real-life son, who plays the son on the show, Daniel Levy. Um, Like, there are things that don't add up. Each episode is 21, 22 minutes, and they're often, like, missing a piece. Like, there's no final tag, or there's no true climax. It's just sort of like the end of the show, and you move on. But what this show has, and what this show has in spades, and what we kept watching and chasing, it is the nicest show, only full of nice, lovely people being kind to each other over and over again. If there's ever a time to watch something that is this much comfort food, it's probably now. Um, and that's just a happy accident on our part, timing-wise. Ultimately, we would have liked it whenever because it just creates such a sweet, 
healthy, loving universe for its characters. Um, and I think it's like benefited by the fact that Daniel Levy either wrote, co-wrote, or probably supervised the plot of every single episode. Um, it's, it's the most idealistic thing I've ever seen. So of course it has to be a Canadian show <laughs> in order to do that. Um, but you know, everything about it, like is just so heartwarming without being overly sentimental or schlocky. Um, I say like, watch like four or five episodes. That's basically two Tiger King episode lengths. Um, and you'll probably know if it's for you or not. I think, I think like season two is when it has already hit its stride. Um, but it's worth watching like that first season, which is already pretty damn good. Um, yeah, everything about it is lovely and it didn't do the thing I thought it was going to do where it was like these people, because they have been rich and famous are so spoiled that they are assholes to the people in the town and need to be humbled. The show isn't like that again, be probably cause it's Canadian. Um, <laughs> they, they come to Schitt's Creek. Yes, like humbled, but never mean. Like they don't have to be confronted by the people in the town and say, look at who you are, look at how you are living. You need to rethink it. There isn't anything like that. They just adjust to this town and they're good to the people and the people are good to them. I think the other main reason why this show has um, sort of crested, especially in the last couple of years, is because Daniel Levy is uh, – he has come out as gay in real life and the character he plays is pansexual. Um, and so there are gay relationships that are just allowed to be like positive and loving and don't have to do with discrimination or obstacles or violence or anything. That's part of like the formula of having gay storylines. Right. It's just about people being loved and embracing each other for exactly who they are, which is really nice. Um, and the other thing then is, Catherine O'Hara is amazing. You know, it's so funny that, you know, you said that about um, the snarky, because I thought that was what the show was going to be like, too. And I just was like, I don't need any more snark in my life. I'm good. I kept waiting for it. And then I got to a point where I realized, oh, no, it's very gentle, this show. And that makes it unique. See, now, okay, now I think I'm going to try and watch it. It's so easy, Karen. I mean... It's, you can watch three episodes in one hour and then you'll just want to keep watching more. Okay. I shall. And it's, that. I mean like, and the thing is also Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy are wonderful. You know, yeah. you know how people always say, oh, everyone overlooks comedies. Everyone overlooks comedians. They are truly two of the great comedic actors of our time. It is But true. they are, they are both, I think, supporting actors on the show. It is truly Dan Levy's show. He is the true lead of this show. It's all about his world. Um, and I mean, he and Annie Murphy, who play the sister, are so charming and and they wear these characters so well, so smartly. It's easy to overlook that what they're doing is good acting, um, but what they're doing is good acting. But yeah, back to Catherine O'Hara, who has these amazing wigs and outrageous costumes that are so Emmy worthy on their own. Um, yeah, it's a real treat to get to have 80 episodes of them because... You know, as much as we love Catherine O'Hara, she's, I mean, she's only done like a dozen well-known movies over 40 years. Just like, crazy. Like some of them are hugely successful, like the Home Alones and Beetlejuice and, you know, like uh, for your consideration, the Christopher Guest movies, yeah. but A Mighty Wind. But um, 
but there's like you can count them on your hand and now you get so much more of them and she was never the star you know particularly in those big blockbuster movies like she was never she wasn't the one that everybody was talking about it was winona ryder it was macaulay culkin or it was you know what i mean it was never and she she stole scenes yeah she was never the the star she She was was never never the lead Yeah. yeah yeah so it's been great to also see her being recognized a lot more um, over the past few years in terms of her talent because she really is wonderful. Yeah, something interesting that Alyssa and I have been talking about just in terms of TV, there's a ton of hour-long dramas that are all going to compete against each other come Emmy time, come like end of year time. There aren't really that many big deal comedies, whether they're sitcoms or just half-hour shows that that are really making a dent this season. Uh, the show Barry on HBO is sitting this season out. Veep is done. Fleabag, which was the big Emmy victor last year, is done. Um, there aren't that many shows that are kind of in contention. So so I'm like, uh, shit's Creek all the way come the Emmys this year. <laughs> and is this the last season? It just ended. It, it did, okay. It, it had its finale like two weeks ago. And right after that is when we just started watching the whole thing. So we caught up to it because I was like, um, oh, well, now I want to keep watching. I want to know what all the stories are. And I want to see it before someone spoils the end of the show. And we did. But now I'm like, and now there's no more show. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to know the other crazy thing? All my friends, everyone who loves the show, has recommended the show, has talked about it. I said, hey, guess what? Alyssa and I finally finished the series. And they're like, oh, I haven't seen the new season. Because they don't get cable. They only watch it when it comes to Netflix. Ah. And I'm like, I thought of you guys were these overzealous fans. So that goes again to how we consume things. Like, they wait till it comes to Netflix whenever it is, however long it's, quote unquote, been out there. Right. Um, which I thought was interesting. Well, but we know, and then we, at some point I'll probably try and, and write something about it and try and figure out something that hasn't been said. But it is, it is such a sweet, decent, loving show about people being kind and good to each other. And I just, I loved every member of the ensemble cast who I'm inclined to believe are almost all Canadian veterans. Um, and it's just like there is there just isn't a more feel good show that I could think of. Cool. So that's Shit's uh, Creek. So I do I do highly recommend it. I uh, and I'd be curious to hear what you think. Um, and then again, I, I open it up to our listeners. Have you watched it? Have you watched all of it? Um, uh, what have you thought? What have been some of your favorite stories and what have been some of your favorite costumes for Moira Catherine O'Hara's uh, character? Also, it's it's worth saying. Eugene Levy has never looked more attractive than he does at 72 and 73 years old on this show. Uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, he looks, I've never thought of him in that way, but, but he looks good. Good for him. So, um, so yeah, there, if you get Netflix, you you have access to Tiger King, but you also have Netflix, you have access to, five of the six seasons of Schitt's Creek. So, so if you haven't, and you've been holding out like Alyssa and I were, uh, now, now is the time to give into it. I, cause I'm like dying to keep talking about it too, is the thing. So what's up with the theater these days? Absolutely nothing. Very little, as little, <laughs> as, little as, as can be. Um, there, uh, my, my 
Critics organization, the Drama Desk, did move forward and announce our nominations for the season today. We just made it for an abbreviated season where instead of a full 12 months of theater, we had about 10 and a half months. Um, and those last six weeks of the theater are kind of important because that's where a lot of the heavy hitters uh, end up opening. So so we did evaluate the season without those. Um, and I've gone the last five and a half weeks not having seen any theater. Um, and I don't miss it. Have You haven't even been watching the streaming stuff? No. And that's the other thing. I don't need to watch any of the theater substitutes. I'm happy being home and doing the things I do in my home, which is working during the day and then watching TV or movies or doing or reading or doing the other things we do in our apartment. If I'm not going out to the theater, I don't need to see Zoom or Skype, you know, like the reproductions of things. I don't need to see reunions of things of people that are being brought together, um, especially if they can't be together in person. Um, I don't miss it, and I just think that goes back to where I come from about theater versus where a lot of the other people I know come – or how they come at theater, which is – it's star worship, and mm-hmm. I'm about, like, the organic, the real thing. I'm about put a story on a stage, make it as good as you can, and let me experience it. Let me know what it is. Let me experience all the elements live with other people. I don't um, – it's not about – what people are perpetuating their star persona on Twitter, on Instagram, and cultivating fans who just want to eat that up. I don't, I don't need that. I don't care for that. I have understood for the last five to ten years that that's how a lot of people who are considered critics have been evaluating theater, and that's not been for me. Um, I don't think you're objective if you do that. Um, I don't think you actually know good versus bad if you do that. Um, so I, I really have not watched any of uh, the online stuff. Um, none of it, even on paper, has really appealed to me. I don't need a substitute. I go to the theater when there's theater. And when there's not theater, and I hope there can be theater again, it kills me that these people can't work. It kills me that these shows don't get the life that they were planning to have and by all means deserve to have. But when theater is not happening... I don't need to be there. I don't miss it. There are still plenty of other stories for me to absorb in their proper media. So that's kind of how I've been living. That's how I've seen all of Shit's Creek. I didn't watch it for five years because I was at the theater. Now I get to experience it in a good, positive way. Um, and and hopefully theater comes back when it, when it can. Right. And not too soon either. I mean, Peter Marks uh, put up a column in the Washington Post maybe last week kind of kvetching about all the the streaming stuff. And on the one hand, like, I think that he did have a point. There's been, you know, there's been a lot of crap, frankly, that people have thrown together um, that, uh, that just doesn't look good, sound good. Uh, you know, and, and sort of reeks of desperation, you know, this sort of, you know, Mickey and Judy were cute when they did it, but sometimes, you know, but that was also still very palatable. Some of the stuff that's getting thrown up just isn't very palatable. Yeah. Um, you know, and because there's, you know, 
it's not the right technology. It's not, you know, there's like a thousand reasons um, that we don't really need to get into at the moment. However, all of that said, um, I think that theater is going to have to reevaluate how it conducts business with this whole Oh, for sure. Pandemic and the fact that so much was available for streaming and some theaters are making, you know, real money from this. And I mean, granted, a lot of this are people that likely would have bought tickets anyway. But when I think about what streaming is doing for making theater accessible, um, I think that's a really important point. Um, It's making it accessible to people who have... um, disabilities and they find it hard to get out of the house to go see a show. A lot of these theaters are not very uh, handicap friendly. So, you know, they, they're not very accessible. Um, sure. In terms I, oh, of I, America's with Disability I Act and totally stuff like agree that. with all that. Yeah. Um, or, you know, the, the sheer fact that you're out of town, you know, there are so many really great shows that are not on Broadway. Um, that have limited runs in New York and, you know, so many people who just really enjoy theater, not Broadway, theater, don't get to experience these new plays and these new playwrights because they have no access just because of geography. I, I totally agree. And, and I, I mean, one of the things I was talking about was um, if you're, if you are able to even like halfway professionally video record a live production so that it can be viewed, you know, you can stream it or view it somehow. Yeah, that's great. I'm talking more about like the knee jerk stuff that's happening right now about people that like still want to have an audience and are using the internet for that, that's the stuff that I'm not tuning into. Do I think we've learned lessons that are really great about how you can make theater actually have a really extended shelf life so that if you were nowhere near that state or you were too young to know about it and you want to find it later on, you can? Absolutely. Do I think that needs to be brought into negotiations and contracts and things as like a thing that's here to stay? I do. I think all of that is true. Um, but, but yeah, what I was thinking of, and I think that's great because I see almost 300 shows a year and I still can't even see all the things I want to. So like I was really access it and that these things can live for posterity, for archival purposes. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. We just have to be, you know, not just agile, but, but a little strategic about it. Like Hillary Bettis, uh, Bettis, seventy two miles to go is going to be is streaming, and I was I was like really happy to see that because um, it was one of the plays where I was like, ooh, I would like to see that um, production, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to get into town to to see it, and you know, and now it's it's streaming, and it's only twenty bucks. Exactly. No, that's great. That's a game changer. Absolutely. You know, I mean, twenty bucks. That's like that's totally affordable too. I mean, that's the other great thing is like, you know, the streaming quote unquote tickets to see this stuff, they're affordable. You're not shelling out. God, how much did I pay for our dear dead drug Lord? I mean, it was like getting in the 60, $70 range. I mean, it was kind of a lot of money 
you know, um, yeah. so, so that you're plunking over. Um, and you know, I can't afford to do that every week. I can't afford to do that, totally. more than, you know, more than maybe once a month, you know, so to have, you know, to be able to see a new play for 20 bucks, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, I think it's great. Yeah, that that side of things I think is great. And the really cool thing about this too is I really do think that it will open up also more work, more careers. It gives um, a, theaters another revenue stream that they can tap into, which, as we're seeing with um, with this pandemic, is really important that they have you know, revenue streams. And it's really, and it's also really important that they cultivate audiences, um, you know, because now they're going to need to cultivate audiences online, which is actually very easy and affordable to do. Um, well, okay. Easy is relative, but it is certainly affordable. Um, you know, and, and that will also lead people to seeing them live. I mean, you know, if, if there's one thing the music industry has also taught us, like everyone was afraid, like nobody would go to, um, concerts anymore and people go see concerts, I think more than ever now, don't they? Do they? I think they did. Or, you know, before, uh, I mean, before the pandemic, I mean, that's the other thing we're going to see a lot of people not wanting to go to. You mean, oh, you mean like people thought eventually that people like would not want to see live service. Yeah, like the streaming services would, yeah. No, because yeah. they're two different impulses. Right, exactly. People want to be outside. People want to be in groups. People want to see famous people. People want to see live things. That Those are, those are instinctive things to how we live. Yeah, but it's funny that you mentioned music because what I was going to say was much the way there weren't cast recordings and then cast recordings were people's touchstone into how they discovered theater, you know, musicals, at least as the gateway, this could be that next equivalent. Mm -hmm. You know, if I was 14 years old growing up in Virginia and I heard of shows, but had no idea what they were. And then it found out, well, all I had to do was turn on my computer and, you know, okay, I probably could have 20 bucks to spend on something to watch. Like, and then I would know it. And I would know who those actors were and I would, I could be a part of that conversation. If you could think of that unfolding across the country for interested people, again, that's how it's a game changer. Right. Right. But so, in the meantime, I, um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying not going out of my apartment to see things and not feeling like I am missing out on them. Yeah. And to your point, specifically about 72 miles to go. That is a show that my organization dominated today. Uh, uh, best actor in a play, Trini Sandoval. Um, so it's, it's really worth checking out. He's a great actor. He's got a great resume. So I'm very happy for him. Um, and Hilary Bettis is someone I have known personally. We used to write together um, and I followed her career. She wrote for the show, the Americans, her husband, Bobby Moreno is also in the show. He's a great actor. Um, so, did you did you watch this stream? Like, how did you nominate this? This must have gotten in right under the wire. Enough enough of us had seen it live right before in because we saw it in previews. It was forced to close like the day after it opened, so we had gotten to it live. Um, they their publicist did make I think a Vimeo available to anyone who hadn't seen it. Okay, got it. I was, well, was kind of wondering well, how they were handling that. What I'm hopeful for is that maybe other publicists can make similar videos available to the votership who maybe did not get to see some of these late season things before the curtain went down on Broadway, on theater. 
I don't, um, I don't know that, I don't know that that's possible. I'm just saying if it's possible, that's great. Yeah. I, I think, um, I think it's an equity question. Um, my understanding was that they had worked out deals with the theaters where they could, um, do streaming for like, so if you had like Friday at eight was your showtime, you could stream Friday at eight. So like you could only stream at the date and times of the performances. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, like once a show has closed, I don't know that it would be allowed. And, but the idea of the video for nominators is like a really interesting point because there were time there have been times where I've had shows that were nominated and I have had access to full shows um that because they fell outside of equity purview and I had offered that to um voters uh, to view if the show had closed oh so that's what I'm talking about yeah 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 so I so I've you know I have done that but because of the whole equity thing I don't know if they would be able to share that well, it was just a thought. I know, I know. I just don't know how um, how how that would work out with with Actors' Equity. I mean, it would be great if they could, because but also then the question becomes like it is a very different medium, um, and often a lot of it's not not really to be used as a proper substitute, but better than nothing. Yeah, is my it's better than nothing, but you don't get the full, you know, no. particularly no. since some of these have been archival. So they yeah. haven't been very well filmed. Like the film yeah, hasn't yeah. been great. Um, I will say there is a film stream of play that was supposed to be at fifty ninety fifty nine Brits off Broadway streaming um, called "It's True, It's True, It's True." Um, it's it's streaming for free, um, and it's really good and it's really well done. Um, it was filmed for the BBC, so. Uh, so so it's done very professionally it's it's not like you know a static uh a static sort of thing um it's it's actually very well done with with really smart cuts and and close-ups and stuff like that and it's basically about the trial of um the artist agostino tassi um who is accused of rape or he was actually convicted of rape, uh, raping the painter Artissima Gentileschi, Gentileschi, who um, actually became quite famous in her own right. And this is a very young company. If you're into like edgy stuff, like they've done it, uh, even though it's, it's like basically based on the court transcripts, they've done it so that it's much more modern, modern conversation, uh, modern language, um, and, uh, and all the roles are played by women, which gives oh, it yeah. a really sort of incredibly intense experience when you're watching it. Um, anyway, it's, it's really wonderfully done and I highly recommend it. Um, you can find it, um, via YouTube or you can go to newdiorama.com, um, on their website, they have links, uh, to, to the stream. Good to know. Um, you feel free to put that up on the Facebook page too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's only available from March thirty first. It's it went available and it's only available for thirty days. So you have to get on that pretty quickly. That's right, guys. Don't waste any time. Um. Yeah. Speaking of time, mm-hmm. we're probably out of it. I know we are. 
Um, the <laughs> Karen's tired. done. I'm done. I'm tired. <laughs> so, um, yeah, if you guys feel differently about streaming theater, let us know um, on, on the Facebook page back on the Block Pod. Yes. Um, tell us more about Shit's Creek. Tell us more uh, about Tiger King. And I also want to say a few people have said they watched Unorthodox based on our recommendation last week. So thank you. Um, we're happy to keep those recommendations coming. Oh, do you know if they enjoyed it? They did. Oh, good. Good. That's re- It's a really good show. Yeah. It is a really good show. Yeah. There's stuff worth watching out there, guys. We're here to help you find it. Yeah. So um, so I guess that's it for us until next week. That's right. You guys, be well, be healthy, stay positive, give us five stars, all of that. And we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time on the Boulevard. Bye.